0: really appreciate Mike doing that for us we get to hear from our our missionaries and that's a great thing I don't know if y'all I can't believe she's done that 14 years she looks like she's still in college um, but she was a student at Georgia Tech started coming to Christian Campus Fellowship which we support of course and then to the church and now 14 years later got a family and still serving in Mexico so we're very grateful for that well, glad y'all are here this morning. Uh, wanted to let y'all know we started something special this week. Um, a lot of y'all probably heard about it in our newsletter, but we started a co-op um, for uh, virtual learning. You know, a lot of, think about this, if you are a teacher, a lot of teachers had to actually be in uh, the classroom. And if they have kids, the kids have to be at home on their computers trying to learn and that's very difficult for teachers who have to be in the classroom at the school or others who have to work so um, the vision of Deanna Peacock our, our children's minister was able to uh, get this going and we've got a lot of our folks um, that are helping so this week we started on Thursday so we had students actually come and we have folks who were facilitating them while they are learning online back in our children's ministry and we had Uh, 24 kids, 16 families represented in doing that, and we're very glad to be able to do that. And we also have a waiting list of 17 more students who want to get in. So if any of y'all are interested in either volunteering or actually working in that co-op, please uh, get in touch with Deanna, our children's minister, and we can get that going. But that's a great way to serve during um, this time in our community, and we're very blessed to have this building and have people that are willing to do that. So that's good news. Well, for those of you who may have not been here, I see some new faces, got to meet some new folks today. Glad y'all are here. But we started a new sermon series called Has God Left the Building? Um, Godly Wisdom in a World That Knows Better. And uh, we've been going through Paul's letter to the first Corinthians, his first letter to the Corinthians, the Jesus followers there. And uh, This morning, we're going to continue that series. Uh, John Ortberg wrote a book a few years ago called Everybody's Normal Till You Get to Know Them. Is that not true? I actually read that book. It's a great book, uh, but it's very true. Uh, But in that book, uh, Ortberg talks about John Wesley, and he says, In the movement associated with John Wesley, people met together in little communities to help hold each other accountable for their deepest values and most important decisions. We're we're familiar with this. But Wesley had this beautiful phrase that he used and he called this watching over one another in love. And before someone entered into one of these communities, um, they would ask a series of questions to see if this person or this group of persons were really serious about living in what we call mutual accountability. Now here are the questions, okay? Now listen carefully to these. The first one is, does any sin, inward or outward, have dominion over you? Do you desire to be told of your faults? Do you desire to be told of all your faults and that plain and clear? Consider, do you desire that we should tell you whatsoever we think, whatsoever we fear, whatsoever we hear concerning you? Do you desire that in doing this, we should come as close as possible, that we should cut to the quick and search your heart to the bottom? Is it your desire and design to be on this and all other occasions entirely open so as to speak everything that is in your heart without exception, without disguise, and without reserve? Now, would you want to be in a group that was that invasive into your life? I just wondered what the chances were that any of us would go, Yes, yeah, sign me up for that. I thought the, 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 the chances are probably slim and none and slim left town, as my dad used to say. But the reality is that most humans, we like to hear and find out about stuff on other people, don't we? We enjoy hearing that kind of stuff, their failures, their secrets. But we sure don't want anybody finding out about our failures and our secrets. And we sure don't like anyone else knowing about them. As a result, many times we look the other way when we see inappropriate behavior or actions. Well, why do we do that? Because if I snitch on you and I hold you accountable, then at some point you're going to snitch on me and you're going to hold me accountable. So we just kind of turn a blind eye. And many times the inappropriate action or behavior continues to go on and on. Well, we're going to continue this series in in Paul's letter again to the Corinthians. And we have learned a little bit about Corinth that it was a very diverse city with lots of different people coming from all over the world in and out because it was a trade city. People coming in and bringing goods and dropping them off and going somewhere else. Lots of different philosophies, lots of different religions. And people talked and mingled and and heard all these different uh, religions and faiths and and philosophies of life as they came through Corinth. And as a result, there were a lot of pagan temples and immoral practices going on within this city. And we know that Paul started a church here. And you think of all places to start a church, why in this immoral city of Corinth? But they needed Jesus And Paul recognized that and he wanted to bring the transforming power of Jesus to this city. So he did. And the church that he started there actually grew pretty quickly and had a lot of members because Paul invested a year and a half of his life in this place and in these people. But after he left, as we learned about, to go back to planting more churches, to go to evangelize more people, he hears and gets word that, man, there's all these problems going on back in Corinth. People are going back to kind of some of the uh, the worldly wisdom that they had been transformed from, and they were going back to this, and this disturbed Paul, and so he writes this letter to address these issues, and we've been addressing some of those as Paul did head on. So today we're going to look at a situation that was really pretty bad. It was a vile situation, and I think about if you were here for the first time, and you're going to hear this sermon, you're like, what in the world did I walk into, but... This actually took place and, uh, in Corinth, and Paul has to address this situation. But I want us to focus this morning not so much on the vile situation that Paul is having to address, but that Paul had to address this situation in order to make very clear the standards that Christ had for his church. So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1-13. through 13. I believe it's going to be on the screen for us. Thank you. You can look on your Bible, your personal device. But let's read what Paul says starting in chapter 5, verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. And you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? For my part, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. So when you are assembled and I am with you in spirit and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new, unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater or slanderer or a drunkard or a swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. So, Paul just gets right into it, doesn't he? And this is an awkward situation. It's something that you go, Ugh, that, that is not a good situation. But Paul addresses this basically in in three parts here. The first part is he simply pronounces judgment on this situation. He said, this is what I know has happened. I've heard about it, but I've investigated. I know this is what's happening. And he's pronouncing judgment on it. And then he's going to explain his reasoning, as you heard, about why he um, pronounces that judgment on the situation. And then he's going to correct a misunderstanding that you probably heard there at the end. So the situation involves a man having his father's wife. Now we don't know all the details on that, and I don't know that that's really important. But Paul is saying this is sexual immorality that doesn't even happen among the pagans. He's saying, man, we're in we're in a very pagan culture, and even they frown on this. And Paul. Seems to be clear that, and it seems to be clear from what Paul's talking about that this is an incestual relationship, and it was clearly forbidden in the Jewish law. We read about that in Leviticus, but Paul was also even referring to his own culture. He's saying in Corinth would even condemn this kind of behavior. And he refers to that because many were very familiar with Cicero... ...who was a Roman statesman and philosopher... ...who specifically wrote about this same kind of relationship in some of his writings... ...and said this is something that absolutely should not be happening. So Paul is saying this is not a good situation. And Paul is even equally, if not more appalled... ...the fact that there are folks within the church who he says... ...you're actually proud of this... And okay with this. And you think, what in the world? Why would someone be proud and okay with this kind of situation? Well, it has to do with, I believe, that those within the church, and we read about this in other of Paul's letters and other of the letters in the New Testament, who take their freedom in Christ or grace... And they say it gives them freedom to sin and do whatever they want. Because Christ has forgiven me. And because he gives us grace and he gives me freedom. And I'm no longer under the law. I can do whatever I want. And it's okay because it's just, you know, I'm spiritual being. And these physical things don't really matter. And Paul's saying that is such a lie. That is such a deception and it's not true. We hear in Romans 6, Paul addresses this same issue. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? And in both um, uh, instances, Paul answers, by no means. But some who claim to be Jesus followers are thinking and behaving this way. That it's okay to just do whatever you want because grace will cover it. And he said, this is grace abuse. And we can't be passing on this kind of teaching to people. So Paul says they should, they should have done two things here when they found out this was happening. First, they should have put the man who did this... ...out of their fellowship. Disfellowship the man. And that seems harsh, I know. Then he says, hand this man over to Satan... ...so that the sinful nature... ...or the fleshly nature in him... ...should be destroyed. He needs to understand how serious this is. Now I know when you hear this... ...and when people read this... ...and again this goes back to our culture... ...and how we look at God's word and we say... ...well I know what God was saying to those people... ...in that time and that culture... But it's different now. It's different now. We don't necessarily have to practice those kind of things. Because, man, that's so harsh. To put someone out of your fellowship. To turn him over to Satan that the sinful nature should be destroyed. But keep in mind here, and we have to understand this. This passage is considered, along with all of Jesus' teachings in the gospel, is the inspired word of God. All of it, even the parts we don't like, even the parts we don't agree with or don't understand, it's still God's Word. And Paul is an apostle that is called by Jesus Christ Himself to be and do exactly what He's doing, to tell what this is what Jesus taught. And He says, He's making a judgment here there's a difference between making a judgment on a situation and judging someone before you know the situation or the person and I think we understand that when you leave here today and you pull out on 29 you're going to have to make a judgment call aren't you is it safe to go out or not and you have to do that and you're going to make a judgment about where you're going to eat is this a safe place to eat Am I going to eat here? Am I going to be happy at this place? We make judgments all the time. That doesn't mean we're judging people. But he was called by Jesus, Paul was, to get these folks back on track toward maturity and God's truth. And that's what he talked about last week as, as we talked about. He's saying, hey, there's only one foundation, and that's Jesus Christ, and that's what Paul is teaching. So putting this man out of the fellowship is actually following exactly what Jesus taught in the Gospels. If you're familiar with Matthew's gospel and Matthew eighteen, he's very clear about what we should do when someone's sinning. Jesus said this, if your brother or sister sins, go out and point go out and point go and point out their fault to them just between the two of you. I'm reading from Matthew eighteen verses fifteen through seventeen. He says, if they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. That means you're not going to fellowship with them as long as they're going to persist in doing this. This is from Jesus himself. So when we hear this and it seems so harsh, and we go, but what about the grace of God? The grace of God is really there if you think about it. You love this person enough to confront them. And this recommendation was to get this person to recognize the seriousness of their sin and what it was doing not only in their life, but how it was affecting others in the body of Christ in this church. It was and it is meant to bring about repentance. Repentance in someone's life to change their mind, to change their heart, to change their actions. And when people are saying, I can't be in fellowship, I can't be in relationship with you," when you're going to continue to do things that harm yourself and harm the church. It makes that person maybe wake up and say, maybe I need to change my mind and my heart and my actions. But the the goal is to not only restore this person back to Jesus, back to Christ, but also to the people in the church as well. And I'll give you a little homework. In Paul's second letter, 2 Corinthians, chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, we hear about someone being restored. And we believe that this actually happened with this man. And Paul is saying, hey, this person has been restored. They have repented. Now welcome them back into the fellowship so we believe this actually happened. So notice in verse 6 Paul explains the reasoning behind this seeming, seemingly harsh judgment. He says first of all, your boasting's not good. Some of you are acting like it's great to have such freedom in Christ that you can do whatever you want and it it's, it's no big deal. And he says you don't boast like that. You're missing the point of grace. You're abusing grace. And their freedom was more important than their example. And he uses the illustration of a little yeast through the whole batch of dough. So this morning, you all know what this is? It's a little pack of yeast. We got any bread makers in here? Absolutely. You know what this is? I remember watching my mom and my grandma use this growing up. And they're kneading the dough. And they tear open this little package of yeast. And they put it in some water. And you put it in the dough. And what happens? Helps the dough to rise. So people that are listening to that, do you realize that yeast is actually, and this is gross, a single cell fungus? Did y'all know that? So I'll I'll do without the bread today, thank you very much, now that you've brought that out, Craig. But we know that in reality the scientific is, is that this yeast actually creates these little pockets of carbon dioxide into the bread And when the bread is hit by this heat, it causes it to expand. And we understand that. And so people that are listening to it, just like us, although they lived 2,000 years ago in a different part of the world, in a different culture, they knew about bread. They made bread in the same way that we make bread today. So this illustration connected with them. Sin is like this. It's this little powdery substance that you can't even hardly see, and you mix it with water, and you get it into the dough... And, then, and if you decide you want to get it out of the dough, can you do that? It's already in there, isn't it? And it starts making things rise. And so people understand this. They make a connection with this illustration. Especially those who make bread, they're going, I never thought of it like that, Paul. You're exactly right. That's how it happens. And for those who had a Jewish heritage or knew people who had a Jewish heritage or aware of the Jewish heritage or history, they probably even more relate to what Paul is talking about. Because Paul relates it to the Passover celebration. You remember the Passover celebration commemorated when the Israelites were called to leave Egypt, when they were in bondage, when they were in slavery, and they had to leave quickly, and they had to make bread. And what did he say do? Don't put leaven in it. Don't put yeast in it. Make that bread quickly and move on. And that's what they did. So whenever they got together after to celebrate the Passover feast, they made unleavened bread. Matter of fact, they would purify their homes during the Passover festival by getting rid of any bread that had leaven in it. There was supposed to be none during the festival in their house. They were purifying their houses from that and going back to this. And they celebrate with unleavened bread. And the bread that we take during communion, guess what? It's unleavened bread. It points back to that very thing. So this is significant. So Paul is making very, very clear in this very important point through this illustration that Jesus is the Passover lamb. Jesus sacrificed for all of humanity a perfect sacrifice that freed us not to sin, but freed us and liberated us from sin. And there's a huge difference. And that false teaching about sinning to celebrate grace and our freedom was like mixing this yeast into the dough, into the congregation, and getting them to think, well, it's okay to sin. Teaching young people, teaching people it's okay to sin. It's not a big deal because it's covered by grace. He's saying, no way. You are not understanding the seriousness of... Of what Jesus did. It distorts the purity of Jesus and his sacrifice. So you can understand why Paul is so clear on this. He's so serious about addressing this issue. He says to move forward not with the old yeast of malice. Not with the old yeast of wickedness. But without that yeast at all. Bread. Lives that show sincerity and truth. And then Paul, in verses 9 through 11, explains or corrects a misunderstanding. He says, look, I am very aware that the world out there does not necessarily know or understand Jesus and this whole Passover lamb thing. We're trying to get the word out. That's why I'm going all over the world, starting churches, evangelizing. I'm telling people about who Jesus is and how he transformed my life Paul said, I had yeast in my life that was sending me in a completely wrong direction. I was persecuting Christians. But Jesus set me straight on that. And now I'm a different person. I've been transformed. But he says, there's people out there that don't know. We're not to judge them... But I'm saying inside the church where it's people who claim to be followers of Jesus and have made a commitment to follow Jesus in every aspect of their life, we are absolutely supposed to hold them accountable and judge their actions. Is anybody uncomfortable with that? It's awkward, isn't it? I don't want to do that. I don't want to say that to somebody. I don't want to get involved with stuff like that. But Paul's saying there's a distinction He says, do not associate with immoral people. And he says, not at all, meaning the people of this world. Because if you didn't associate with immoral people, you'd have to go somewhere where nobody lived on an island by yourself. He says, I'm not talking about the world. In that case, you would have to leave it. So he clears this up by explaining they should not associate with anyone who says, I'm a brother and sister in Christ. I follow Jesus and practice this kind of stuff. And making these actions. As you notice, it's not just a one-time thing that someone's repented, but it's a repeated, consistent action in their lives that they're being confronted on. And the yeast is not needed in the church or among Jesus followers. He even says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? That's for God to do, but as long as God has called me to start churches and mature and try to bring you to maturity in Christ, then we absolutely have to make judgments on these things, when someone's bringing yeast into the church. And so he says one more time, expel the wicked person from among you. Now, we can all go, Amen, that's right, Paul, that's right, Craig, that's great stuff. But when it actually happens and we have to, to deal with someone that's doing that, that's when it gets sticky, doesn't it? It's hard, it's uncomfortable. But that's where the world thinks that they know better. They say, well, that was back for the Corinthian church. They had, you know, Craig, they had stuff like that incest thing. We don't have that in our church. We don't need to go to those extremes in our culture because we're more civilized. But it's not necessarily true. We look at it as too harsh, unforgiving, no grace. And again, this is the inspired word of God that's been passed on for some 2,000 years by Paul who was called by Jesus And let me tell you, if this bothers you, the next few chapters are really going to bother you. If this bothers me, the next few chapters are really going to bother me too. Because Paul doesn't stop addressing these issues. And it's tough stuff. Because sometimes we allow the yeast of the world to get into the dough of our brain, don't we? And I tell, you, I tell you almost every Sunday how I fight this with my own kids. They're hearing this stuff. And the, the yeast is getting into the dough of their brain. And they know God's word because they've heard it since they were little. But there's this tension. But God's word says this, but my friends and TikTok and all these cool people are saying this. How do I, how do I decide what to believe? Well, you believe God's word. Everything has to go through. Remember last week Paul said there's no other foundation than the foundation of Christ. And everything has to be looked at through the lens of Christ. But because accountability is so important and necessary for us as Christ followers, it's also difficult. But without it, we're on our own. We just sit in our sin and we play a game that many of us play. We come here and we participate to a certain extent, but not too much. I don't want to tell you too much about me and my life because then you'll see the ugly part of Craig. I don't want to get too close to you. I don't want to say too much or open myself up too much because then you'll know I do have some flaws that I need to work on and need to repent of. But one of the cruelest things we can do in Christian community is allow someone to keep sinning and do nothing about it. It's going to <laughs> I know Craig's dealing with pornography, but I'm not going to say anything. That's none of my business. Hopefully somebody at the church will deal with that, but it ain't going to be me because that's just too awkward. I know Craig gossips all the time, but I don't want to confront him on it because then he might get mad and leave the church. But this is what Paul is saying. Something had to be done in this particular situation And when we open ourselves up, when we submit to accountability, submit, the Greek word means I put myself under the submission, under the authority of something willingly. Not someone's making me do it, but I say I'm going to submit to Christ and His teaching because I believe that He really is the Savior who gives me life, a new life. And I'm going to submit to His teachings. So what would happen if this church would truly get rid of yeast? In the church, what would happen if we would submit in, to answering those questions that John Wesley asked people to submit to before they became one of his? I guess those were the first small groups with John Wesley. What would happen if I would submit to being a part of a group that knew me without the yeast, without the pockets of pride and false confidence that I have, and saw me for who I really was and loved me anyway? Man, our church would be powerful, wouldn't it? And I know we have some of those groups. I know we have men's and women's groups and and, and groups, fish groups. And those are the groups that are important for us to have. But just a plain, secure lump of unleavened dough that sincerely wants Jesus to shape me into who he always created me to be. That's what God wants us to be. What would happen if we did that in a group with others? What would happen in this church? What would happen in this community? What would happen in our families if we would submit ourselves to that? Well, it can happen. It did happen in this church. It did happen. The reason we are a church today is because in that early first century and throughout all the centuries to the 21st now, people did hold each other accountable. They did love each other through their sins and get them back on track. And you know what? That's what the whole idea of the church is. Is to keep us focused on being the followers of Christ that we're called to be. Are we willing to do that? Well, this morning I want to I wanna close. And we like to give an invitation each week. Maybe there's somebody here today that you're hearing this. And the dough of your brain has been deceived into believing that it's no big deal. God just winks at sin and it's not really something that affects our relationship with Him or with others. No, He came and died to restore that relationship. That's how serious it was. It had to have death by a perfect sacrificial lamb and that was Jesus. And if you need to name Him as your Lord and Savior today, and be baptized into Him, we want to offer that opportunity this morning. Or if you're looking for a church home where we teach and preach and try to practice what Jesus taught, what we see in God's Word. We're not perfect. We stumble, but we try to call each other out in love and restore people. And if you're looking for a church like that, we want to give you that opportunity. So I'm going to ask you to stand, and if you have an opportunity, just come forward. Mike's going to come and lead us. My Lord is the mighty King, master of everything. His name is wonderful, Jesus, my Lord. Thank you all so much for being here um, this morning listening to God's Word, taking communion together, singing. Thank you for our visitors that are here today. If we didn't get a chance to say hello to Hopes as we're going out, y'all remember to kind of be careful as you go through the lobby, not to congregate. I know we just naturally want to do that, but we're trying to stay safe and foam out as you leave and make sure to register for next week. Just one thing I wanted to remind y'all of, this Thursday night, we've been supporting Southwest Christian Care uh, since its inception, and it is a hospice and a uh, special needs for, for kids that are medically fragile at no cost to their family for over 32 years. And each year they have a big banquet that a lot of you are a part of. But this Thursday night, they're going to have this young man, Kyle Maynard, who was born with no le- no hands and no feet. And he is going to, uh, uh, you're going to be able to see his story. He's going to do it live, live streaming, August 20th, this Thursday at 7 o'clock. You can go to www.swchristiancare.org to register. It's free, or you can also make a donation. But I think it would be great for you to hear this man's story of all the things he's accomplished with no hands and no feet. And he's going to tour uh, Southwest Christian Care and see the hospice facility and the, uh, things for the kids, the Hope House. And he's going to be sharing his testimony. So that's free. You can go. And I would get your kids or grandkids to watch this. How many times I say, I can't do it. This guy will put us all to shame. But also very much encourage us. I want to encourage you all to do that. Well, I'm going to have a word of prayer. Then we'll sing the doxology and be dismissed. Lord, thank you for Paul. Thank you for how you transformed his life and how, although it was difficult, he had to take on these situations within the church and with people that he truly loved and cared about so much that he did confront them, that he did make a judgment and try to get them to um, repent, to change their, their thinking and their behavior, Father. And we know you called him to do that and you call us to do that. And Father, we know it's hard, but in the church, help us. To be able to have people around us that will love us and hold us accountable, Father. Help us to submit to that in our lives and be willing to do that. And Father, as accountability partners with other people, Father, help us to really, truly love them through these situations. And also be vulnerable ourselves. But thank you for the message today through your word. Thank you for us being able to get together. And we pray as we leave here you'll continue to keep us safe. uh, But also allow us to be salt and light in the world. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.